Hey guys, today's show is brought to you by one of our newest and favorite sponsors, and that is Photo IQ. Photo IQ offers digital photography online courses like none other of its kind. Okay, it's explained simply, concisely. There's no jargon, no overcomplications, and there are lessons for from beginner to intermediate photographer from ages 13 and up. It's the only digital photography course of its kind that offers online um, quizzes, personal feedback. You get to upload your your homework, and it'll help you build your own portfolio. It's going to be more in depth than anything you've probably taken in high school, and even if you took some like freshman level courses in college. Okay, and you can do this all socially distance from home you know we're all stuck in our houses under these uh lockdown restrictions and you know some of your schools aren't open well this is a great way to learn a new skill maybe develop an alternate source of income and get that side gig starting to sort of free yourself up so what i need you to do is go to photoiq.co and use the promo code fiction to get you 10% off. He offers a 30-day money-back guarantee. You got nothing to lose. So ditch those pathetic sunset pictures you guys have been taking. Go to photoiq.co, use promo code FICTION, and start learning how to take anything from camera basics, still life, food, landscapes, portraits, black and white, action photos, everything that you could possibly imagine. He's got a course for it. It's going to be better than anything you can find on YouTube. So go to photoiq.co and use promo code FICTION. All right, let's get on with the show. Anyone claiming that America's economy is in decline is peddling fiction. I've abandoned free market principles to save the free market system. so that you can uh, find out what is in it. Raising the debt ceilings does not increase our debt. It does not somehow promote profligacy. I know words. I have the best words. Nobody knows the system better than me, which is why I alone can fix it. What is up? What is up, everybody? Welcome back to a brand new episode. This is, of course, the Peddling Fiction Podcast, and I am your host, the voice and soul of so-called fiction, Johnny Profita. It is Thursday evening. I'm recording a little later than normal. I had some some things I had to do this afternoon that... Um, Got, kind of got in the way of my normal podcasting schedule, so this episode will probably be out pretty late Thursday night, but anyway, hopefully you guys have had a nice week. There has been a lot of political theater going on, and I don't know if you've been caught up in it or not. We've had the um, nomination hearings for Amy Coney Barrett, also known as ACB. I'll probably refer to her as ACB going forward because I now know, based on a lot of these comments from the Lemmings on Twitter, that that really pisses people off because it, you know, 
you're only supposed to use initials for RGB, the Messiah of the Supreme Court, and and Amy Coney Barrett couldn't possibly be compared to her, so we can't use her initials. It's offensive to the RGB legacy. So um, you're seeing a lot of unbelievably dumb arguments come out um, around surrounding like um, original intent, originalism, Amy Coney Barrett, everybody, you know, everybody quizzing her and, and sort of berating her on Capitol Hill. They, they've got nothing. They, they really have uh, very little to go off of because she really has a, a pretty impeccable background. She's very sharp. She's smart. She's uh, qualified. She's a woman. She's, uh, you know, got adopted black kids. Like, she would be a poster child for a Democratic nominee if not for her um, belief in, you know, interpreting the Constitution as it was intended to to mean when it was written, which we're going to get into all of that today. But then you're also seeing a lot of blue checkmark retards on Twitter coming up with just the dumbest arguments for being against originalism. So I'm going to make fun of all those people tonight. And then, of course, we've had the the next big sort of shoe to drop in the whole presidential race, I guess you could say, is this New York Post story that got a lot of attention. I think it was starting yesterday. This They leaked some, some emails that detail all the corruption surrounding Hunter Biden and China and Burisma, this whole thing that I, I've talked about on previous episodes a long time ago, probably last year. We, we talked about, uh, about these scandals, and now um, apparently somebody, it could have been Hunter Biden, it could have been somebody else dropped his his laptop off at some computer uh, place, and, and you know the guy is uh, claiming to be legally blind or something. So he's not sure if it was Hunter Biden that dropped it off or not. But he turned it over to Fox News or something like that, and now all of these emails are being leaked piecemeal because I think because they realize that the Twitters and Facebook and all these social media tech giants that are clearly in bed with um, the Democratic Party, they lean left, they are proponents for Joe Biden, they have been censoring the shit out of this story. And so we're going to talk about that as well. And that will be, uh, those will be the two uh, big topics. I guess it's like two and a half, kind of three, because it's tech censorship, Hunter Biden being a degenerate, and... um, (laughs) the Amy Coney Barrett nomination process. So I think I'm just going to dive right into it. I don't have a lot of um, updates to report on anything since Monday, so let's just uh, get it on. I I know I talked a little bit about Amy Coney Barrett, ACB, in the last episode, mainly uh, in regards to the Affordable Care Act. And that, I mean, I basically focused that, it wasn't so much on ACB herself as it was the Affordable Care Act and just health insurance in general and and those, the arguments surrounding that. But I've been, we've had, I think it was three goddamn days of these hearings where the, the, the politicians just ask really, really fucking boring, dumb questions to ACB. And she responds, she did a pretty good job of setting a lot of these senators straight uh, when, when they would try to, you know, put words in her mouth or 
interpret her, you know, previous writings or sort of attri- they like to attribute uh, Scalia's old old rulings to her since he was like her mentor. So it's like every senator that gets up there, it's like, well, Scalia believed this. Is this what you believe, too? And it's just, oh, my God. Um, it, it was really boring to watch. I didn't watch all of it. I, I caught some highlights. I would tune in from time to time just to see what was going on. But I, I mean, the whole thing is just kind of ridiculous, right? You've got, we already know that none of the Democratic senators are going to vote for her, right? Because they they see, I mean, they don't really see it as a sham, but that's what their position is officially, you know, they're trying to ram this process through so that they can strike down the Affordable Care Act, blah, 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 blah. And this is a, a sham hearing and the Republicans should be ashamed of themselves. And they've already written her off as unfit to serve on the bench because she is an originalist. And that means that, you know, she'll strike down the Affordable Care Act. And it is kind of weird that now it's become this thing where it's like in order to be qualified for to serve on the Supreme Court, like the way the way you're expected to vote on future Supreme Court issues is what qualifies you for uh, to serve on on the bench. Right. And, and I mean, that's not what this should be about at all. It's it should be whether or not you have uh, the the legal aptitude and qualifications and understanding of the Constitution and the wherewithal to apply that to future legislation, not like whether or not, you know, we think you're going to vote down this legislation that we like that's coming up to a vote. So therefore, um, you're not qualified to uh, to serve on the Supreme Court. So there's that whole aspect. But what's really what I really find kind of hilarious about this whole thing is that, you know, ACB claims to be this originalist, which for those of you who uh, know Abla, that just means that she believes, rightfully so, as I've talked about several times on this podcast, that the Constitution means what it says. It, it was not written in ancient hieroglyphics that need to be interpreted or, you know, the meanings of the words have to change with the times or anything like that. No, no, it, it's law and you have to apply the meaning of you know the meaning of the words at the time the people wrote the constitution right the people the, the time the law was written what those people intended it to mean and what the meanings of the words meant that's what it means like you don't get to change the meanings of these things and and read some sort of interpretation into it to make it say what you want it to say right which is exactly what Every liberal, every Democrat, and every Supreme Court justice who leans left, the late great RGB uh, in particular, they all, they all like to, to think of the Constitution as this living, breathing document that its meaning needs to change with the times. And that is just, that is just pure nonsense. I mean, if it's, if it's a law, it can't be open to interpretation. That would make it void for vagueness. That's actually a legal term. Like, you can't have laws that are open to interpretation. You have to have laws that are specific and they have a meaning and everybody understands what the meaning is. And it can't mean something different to Joe Schmo and then, you know, uh, Johnny Duguid are over there. No, no. It, it has to mean the same thing. 
I mean, if, you know, if the, you know, James Madison, the father of the Constitution and all these founding fathers, everybody that ratified that document, if they knew that the meaning could change based on whoever was reading it and they could read in all their retarded interpretations of what they think it's supposed to mean or what they want it to mean, they would have never ratified it in the first place. Of course not. It has to mean what it originally meant. Otherwise, it's a completely worthless document, and this whole thing is just complete bullshit. But anyway, um, what I what I do find funny is that, you know, ACB claims to be this originalist, and if that's the case, then... 95% of what the government does is unconstitutional. And they keep asking her questions like, oh, are you, what do you think of like Roe v. Wade and, you know, uh, Brown versus the Board of Education, all these like, you know, previously established precedent law that the Supreme Court has ruled on. And she keeps saying that she's not going to comment on you know, previous uh, precedent, like she's not going to grade precedent and she's not going to give her opinion on either pending or previously, you know, decided precedent, which, you know, I think it was Ruth Bader Ginsburg that was like famously said that she wasn't going to comment on that sort of stuff because it was improper and like unethical and these were not questions that the senate should be asking and i believe that even call that the ginsburg rule so it is pretty funny now that all these people who worship rgb are giving her a hard time for you know following exactly in her footsteps saying that she's not going to comment on on all this like previously decided legislation and everything like that But it really bothers me. Like one thing that really drives me crazy is this unwillingness to overturn Supreme Court rulings of the past. I mean, if it's bad precedent, you should fucking overturn it. If something was unconstitutional 100 years ago and the Supreme Court ruled that it was constitutional, you know, and they, they let it slide, that should be overturned. I mean, why can't we overturn bad precedent? This is just fucking ridiculous. And if you are familiar with the Constitution at all, you'd know that it gives very few powers to the federal government, like very few, few and defined is, is uh, how Madison referred to them. And it's all like it's all in the like Article one, Section eight of the Constitution is, is basically all the federal government can do. And none of this stuff is uh, mentioned in the in the constitution so none of this previous case law that they're asking her to comment on nothing it's all unconstitutional and yet you know she won't say anything to that effect and she's not going to overturn it or anything like that so this whole hearing is kind of ridiculous but equally ridiculous is the framing of what it means to be an originalist and i've seen like numerous like you, you name it any you know politician on twitter i actually just came across a dan rather tweet which i don't know how this popped up into my feed but this is like the extent this is like the the low iq argument you're getting from idiots all over the internet on TV, these politicians, they, this, is the, this is the tweet, and this is the argument that they're making, okay? If you want to be an originalist in law, maybe you should go all the way. 
cooking on a hearth, leeches for medicine, an old mule for transportation, or maybe you can recognize that the world changes. That's Dan Rather, ladies and gentlemen, but you've heard a variation of that from just about everybody. It's like, oh, if you're an originalist, that means that like you believe like, uh, you know, uh, black people are three fifths of a person and slavery is okay and all this stuff. And like, <laughs> listen, being an originalist doesn't mean that the Constitution can't be changed. That's why the framers of the Constitution came up with a process for amending the Constitution. We have a list of amendments that people refer to all the time. Now, we haven't amended it in, like, God knows how long. I can't remember the last time there was an amendment to it because there's no respect for the Constitution or the process anymore. They don't bother amending it. They just violate the shit out of it, and the Supreme Court rubber stamps it. So there's no need to amend the Constitution if you treat it as a living, breathing document where you can just interpret a bunch of bullshit into the document that wasn't intended uh, to be there. So the, the idea that you know, if you're an originalist means that you, you have to abide by everything that the Constitution says and it can't be changed. That's ridiculous. You can change it. You just have to go through the amendment process. You don't get to uh, take some bullshit interpretation and read that into the, the words that are in the Constitution already to circumvent what the Constitution says, to get around the fact that it was designed to limit what the federal government can do. Let's take a quick second and thank our other dear, dear, dear sponsor of the show. You know him as Lorenzotti Coffee. Guys, if you like premium Italian coffee, but you hate going to these corporate, poorly managed, poorly prepared coffee houses, Starbucks, Dunkin' Donuts, things like that, especially now where you got to put on a mask on and stand in a socially distanced line, you're going to love Lorenzotti Coffee. They deliver premium Italian coffee and coffee brewing supplies right to your door. It's a small business that was started by two liberty-minded entrepreneurs who came together over their love of coffee and their desire to bring that small, independent coffee house feel back here across the pond to the United States. So what I want you to do is go to Lorenzotti.coffee and use my promo code FICTION so they know I sent you and they'll give you 10% off your order. Even if you're not a coffee drinker yourself, I'm sure you know someone who does, and these tins are beautiful. They'd make a great you know, portion of a gift basket or something like that if you wanted to send somebody that you care about a package. Go to lorenzotti.coffee, use promo code FICTION, and you'll get 10% off. But you see, that's the whole Democratic playbook. That's the whole Supreme Court playbook now. I mean, even a lot of these... Uh, supposedly right-wing justices, these conservative justices, uh, a, a lot of them, like the ones that were appointed by Roberts as a Bush appointee, they, they um, you know, he, he was the deciding vote in Obamacare being constitutional, which it clearly is not. There is no, no mention of health care or anything like that anywhere in the Constitution, okay? There's no mention of... Uh, uh, education. There's no mention of any of like there. You can't even. I mean, when I say that 95% of what the government does is unconstitutional, I'm not exaggerating. Okay, they don't even allow for the federal government to emit bills of credit, meaning fiat money. Okay, so 
we, we can't even have uh, fiat money. Now, they created the Federal Reserve to sort of get around that. So that's why the Federal Reserve is technically not a, a federal entity. It's a private entity that just moves in lockstep with the federal government, does whatever the federal government wants. It's uh, you know appointed. The, the chairman of the Federal Reserve is appointed by the fucking president and all this shit. So, I mean, for all intents and purposes, it is a federal agency. But technically, it's private so that it can emit bills of credit. All those dollars that are floating around our economy, some of them might be in your wallet or your bank account, that's all unconstitutional, okay? They can't loan out money. No, no. No, no. They can borrow money, but they can't loan money. So student loans, all that shit's fucking unconstitutional. Everything they're doing. So that is why. And if you look at even Republican agenda, like they're worried about, you know, uh, the ACA being um, struck down as unconstitutional, as it should be for, for every reason. Like they, they try to act like the only problem with the ACA is this individual mandate. And if you strip that out, or I think they call it, you know, sever it, you know, then maybe the, the rest of it can stand. No, no, the whole fucking thing is unconstitutional. But they, they try to act like it's just this individual mandate. So but I mean, Trump keeps saying he's going to, you know, get rid of the ACA and replace it with something better and bigger and cheaper and all that shit. That would be unconstitutional, too. And this is why politicians, especially on the left, are freaking out, because not only are they worried about for some reason, I don't know why. I think it's just a, sort of like a red herring to throw out that, you know, all this previous precedent, Roe v. Wade is in jeopardy and things like that. It's not. It's not. As I talked about, like, even if by some miracle the that goes to the supreme court and they strike it down then it just goes to the states and the state legislatures can fucking decide for their own state whether or not they want to impose uh, abortion restrictions so i mean the odds of that happening are, are very slim right and if you don't you know then you could just move to a state that you know does allow abortions and you, you don't even have to move there you could just go to another state and get an abortion and, and you know your state would have no jurisdiction in that state so it's all just a bunch of bullshit but what they're really freaked out about is they have a whole agenda green new deal medicare for all all that stuff that's all new uh new legislation that would have to be that would have to go in front of the Supreme Court. And if they don't have their liberal judges on there that are going to, instead of do their job, do their job and apply the, the Constitution, the constitutionality of it to the, the law, they're going to apply their own like personal preferences and whether or not they think the law would do good for people. And if, it, if it's a good thing and if it's something that they want, then they'll find some sort of interpretation in a clause in the Constitution that gives them the ability to uh, rubber stamp it as constitutional. So they're really freaking out about future legislation. Um, all, all The whole agenda of the Democratic Party is all going to have to go to the Supreme Court. And in all likelihood, it would then, you know, it would be a lot easier for the Supreme Court to strike it down, seeing as there isn't any precedent for the Green New Deal anymore yet, right? So uh, once there's precedent, then the Supreme Court like even Amy Coney, Coney Barrett's of the world, they won't strike it down. But this idea that the Constitution needs to be interpreted is absolutely ridiculous, okay? Laws, like I said, they, they don't need interpretation, and if they do, they, they're void for vagueness. And it is interesting that the only time a law 
is open to interpretation is when it applies to the federal government or some sort of government agency, right? The laws that you and I need to abide by, oh, those aren't open to interpretation. No, no, no. Like you, you can't have, like a cop pull you over for running a red light and be like, oh, you know, I, I, I didn't think I, I thought that was a suggestion. I didn't actually have to stop there, you know? No, no. All those laws, those are not open to interpretation. And if you don't, even if you don't understand them, or you, you know, misunderstood what the law meant, you're still bound by, you know, what the law says, and you're still guilty of violating it. Now, when it comes to the government, and all of the laws that are supposed to restrict what they can and cannot do, yeah, well, then it's open to interpretation. And who gets to interpret it? Well, the government, of course. Lo and behold, somebody in the government gets to interpret it. And that's, of course, how we've gone from the, the smallest government in the world to the largest government in the world that's involved in every aspect of our lives. And it's why we need more justices on the Supreme Court who are originalists, because there should not be any other position other than originalist. Anything else is just fucking bullshit. You can't interpret a different meaning into the, the document that restricts what you can do just so that you can get around that restriction. I mean, this is absolutely ridiculous. So, I mean, if you don't like what the Constitution says, that's fine. Amend it. Go through the amendment process. And the reason they don't do that is because it's very hard to do that. You have to get two, uh, two thirds of the states, I think, to ratify the amendment. Um, so and that's by design. It's not supposed to be easy to just fucking grant the federal government powers. The whole thing was designed to restrict what the federal government can do. And they wanted to make it as difficult as possible for the federal government to usurp a bunch of power. And we've all seen how well that's worked out. Right. Like I said, um, every step of the way. It lasted for, I don't know, maybe 100, 100 years or so, 115 years, whatever, before things kind of went to shit and they, they sort of found ways of getting around it. The more time that passes from the, the people that wrote the Constitution, the less respect people have for it. And the more time the government has to sort of teach people or propagandize people to believe it means other things that it doesn't mean. And I mean, at least at first, you know, when you had uh, Woodrow Wilson, we at least went through the fucking process of amending the Constitution before, you know, something, before they do something illegal, right? Like they had to pass an, an amendment to the Constitution in order to uh, pass the income tax, right? That, that was unconstitutional originally. The Supreme Court initially struck down Social Security as unconstitutional. So for a while, this whole thing kind of worked, but the, the more time that passed, the more ridiculous they got with their interpretations and, and the meaning of the Constitution and all this stuff. And now it's just it's completely worthless. And even, you know, even when the, the document did do what it was supposed to do, they would still find ways of getting around it without passing a constitutional amendment like I talked about with the Federal Reserve. Basically what happens is, and this is, you know, this is how they've always gotten around restrictions on their power and how they always will get around restrictions on their power, is they declare some sort of emergency. They'll declare some sort of emergency and they'll get something else, pat, or they'll do something and they'll pull a bait and switch like they did with the Federal Reserve Right. Like I said earlier, that was their way of getting around the fact that the, the Constitution explicitly prohibited them from 
printing paper money and, and sending it out into the economy, right? So they, they created, the, they had a private company, the Federal Reserve, do it on their behalf, right? And the original statute for the Federal Reserve, they were not allowed to buy government bonds, okay? They, they were prohibited from doing that. Why? Because they feared that they would monetize the debt, like exactly what we're doing right now with uh, the quantitative easing and all this stimulus and stuff where the Federal Reserve buys up mortgage-backed securities and government bonds and treasury bills and things like that. So they were worried that that would happen. And so they put a, a clause in the original statute that said they couldn't do that. And then World War I comes around, and they strip that out, right? It's an emergency, okay? It's an emergency. We need the, the Federal Reserve to print up a bunch of money so that we could fund the war. And so we're going to grant these temporary emergency powers, and this is just you know for emergency purposes. And then, of course, what the government told us was, don't worry, you know, we're going to let them buy debt, but we're going to put a ceiling on there. We're going to put a debt ceiling up there to make sure that they can't just buy all the debt that they want. No, no, no. We're going to put a debt ceiling on there. We're going to cap it at $11 billion. I think it was either that or maybe $11.5 billion with a B, just to make sure it didn't get out of control, right? And of course, what would go wrong when the government is in charge of restricting itself? Who would have thought that a strict debt ceiling of $11.5 billion is now, um, it's been completely suspended. They don't even bother raising it anymore. And we have just topped $27 trillion in bonded debt. So there, there's your debt ceiling. There's your government restriction on its borrowing uh, from the Federal Reserve, that the Federal Reserve that was never supposed to be able to buy government bonds and the Federal Reserve that was never supposed to exist to emit bills of credit and things like that. I mean, every time there was a roadblock that the Constitution threw up, they find a way around it, no matter what, whether it's interpreting the language of the Constitution, changing the meaning of some words here, making it say what you want it to say, or just uh, circumventing it with you know some pu- sort of private-public relationship where you get you know, you get through it on a, a loophole of some sort of technicality or whatever. They've been doing it for a hundred years. They're going to do it for a hundred more or until this whole thing collapses. I mean, this is how they operate. Nothing is more permanent than a temporary government program. That's Milton Friedman's famous quote. And to this day, uh, the Federal Reserve is still buying government bonds. It's it's monetized <laughs> tens of trillions in government debt. And to this day, they're, they're still doing uh, things that were supposedly emergency temporary measures, like quantitative easing, number one, was just supposed to be this one once in a you know hundred year thing where we're on the verge of the Great Recession and the economy is going to collapse. We're going to do this temporary thing. It's called quantitative easing. And then all of a sudden, it just becomes regular, everyday, commonplace procedure. And we do it all the time now. And it's never going to end. But they'll always find some sort of emergency to justify whatever they're going to do. Uh, that's the reason why, you know, Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, what was the emergency? The Great Depression, right? Brought on by ironically, you know, the last emergency that they intervened in, which was the Federal Reserve. <laughs> so they, they, you know, they declare an emergency, they cause a bunch of fucking problems, they destroy the, uh, the economy, they, they turn a recession into the Great Depression, and then, of course, 
it's now a new emergency where we have to provide, you know, a retirement plan for everybody and, and emergency medical care and things like that. And all of it's unconstitutional, but hey, it's an emergency and uh, we're going to interpret a certain clause of the Constitution to allow us to do this because we justices feel that this is this would be good for the American people. And that ha- that is where we are today. That is how we've gotten to where we are today. The Supreme Court is an epic failure. It is, you know, it was poorly designed from the beginning in my mind to have, you know, a branch of the government sort of monitor or, or you know, uh, as a safeguard against government overreach. I mean, that's like the fox guarding the hen house. So this whole thing w- was destined to fail. It's one of the reasons why I, I think, you know, this idea of a limited government is a fantasy. Because no matter what that document says, it could be as crystal clear. I mean, it's not very hard to understand what the Constitution says right now. It's not very hard to understand at all, actually. It's pretty you know, easy to read. It's very short. It's concise. But they'll always find a way around it. They'll find a way to interpret that or whatever. Like They'll come up with a whole school of thought. Like This is a, a legitimate school of thought that they teach at universities, is that the Constitution should be open, and, open to interpretation. I mean, that, that's bullshit. Okay, they just don't like what the Constitution says, and so they're going to change the meaning of the words. And even when the document does what it says it's going to do, well, then they'll just create the the Federal Reserve to get around it. It's a private entity, but it's really a you know it's really a government entity in for all intents and purposes. So this whole thing can never work. I mean, we can put a whole bunch of originalists on the the Supreme Court now, and it's really just a safeguard against future legislation that could be unconstitutional. So I guess, yeah, it's like uh, kind of like closing the barn door after the the horses are out or whatever, because, I mean, we already have the, the largest, most unconstitutional government imaginable. So the only thing that this is possibly stopping is like a Green New Deal kind of ridiculous communist revolution doctrine, right? I mean, that's about it. I mean, what else can they do? What else can the federal government do that it already isn't doing, right? They're going to go after climate change is the next thing, right? That's probably why that they're they're really freaking out on the left as well. They don't really care about abortion. People do, but I don't think these politicians do. They want to be able to declare climate change, this emergency, based on their bullshit models and, you know, from scientists that they pay to come up with bullshit models. And then they get to point to that science as justification for future legislation. I mean, all of these models are ridiculous, and I'm sure you could get any scientist to come up with any model that you want. The doomsday scenario is obviously the best for the government and for the media because that kind of shit, doomsday scenario, sells. But what does the government want to do? They, they want to control things, right? They want power. They want influence. They want to be able to control and dictate everything to everybody. Right, so they they taint all of this research with government influence. They want to be involved in every aspect of our lives, and what better way to do that than the weather? Right, I mean, no matter what the weather does, it's evidence of climate change, right? And it will give them carte blanche to enact anything they want, any kind of legislation that they want, any sort of draconian uh, restrictions like lockdowns and things like that, anything. I mean, they, they could do whatever they want and, and to circumvent the, the constitutional restrictions even more. 
it's going to allow them to to circumvent whatever is left of that pathetic constitution because it's an existential threat. And look, even the scientists who we might have funded either directly or indirectly, they're telling us that that this is, you know, an existential threat. And then therefore we must tax you to do X, Y and Z or we need more control over this. You have to do that. You can't do this, that and the other anymore because existential threat, climate change. Right. But I think it's clear that that's where we're headed. And. Somebody like Amy Amy Coney Barrett is the the last going to be the last line of defense against something like that, which is good. But I mean, we're we're still we're, we're already fucked on so many other levels if they're not going to overturn bad precedent. And I, I don't think any anybody on the Supreme Court has the testicular fortitude to do that. Let's take a second and thank our other sponsor for today's show, and that of course is Matt Octung. Raleigh's digital marketing dude. Digital marketing is just a vital thing to know, have, and understand how to do this day and age. You can't run a business without having a digital footprint. And so for any of you listeners out there who have your own business, or you're thinking about starting your own side gig, you know somebody who does, who's struggling to get the internet attention that they need, you got to have them get in touch with Matt Octung, Google Matt Raleigh's digital marketing dude. He comes right up. He'll be the first one in the Google search. And that's what he's going to do for your company. 75% of all views, clicks, and calls go to the first three businesses that show up when you Google something like, hey, is show me a restaurant near me. The first three guys that come up are the ones who get 75% of the views. So if you want your share of that 75% and you want your business to start appearing at the top of these searches instead of on page six in the Google search, if you want people to actually see your business and frequent your business and click on your links, you got to Google Matt Raleigh's digital marketing dude. He's a digital marketing consultant and he doesn't just handle the Raleigh, North Carolina area. He can work with you no matter where you are. And right now for business owners and listeners of the Peddling Fiction podcast, Podcast, he's offering free digital marketing consultations. So he'll teach you how to conquer your local search problems. He'll help you build reviews, optimize your social media, learn how to run Google and Facebook ads and convert leads into paying customers and clients. So Google Matt Raleigh's digital marketing dude, get your free consultation. I mean, it's free. You've got literally nothing to lose. Tell him I sent you and give your small business digital superpowers. Anyway, the the Democrats can't really stop ACB from being nominated. They don't have control of the Senate. The the Republicans have the votes. It looks like this is going to go to a vote next week, I think on the 22nd, and that'll be that. She'll be in there. So they can grandstand and they can say she wants to rip away your health care and, and this is a sham hearing and blah, 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 blah. It doesn't matter. They, they can talk till they're blue in the face. They can't stop this from happening. Oh, that's the other the other retarded thing you hear them saying. They're like, the Republicans are packing the court right now. <laughs> like They just completely, once again, they take these words that we know the meaning of them and they pervert it to the extent where just nominating a Supreme Court justice to fill a vacancy is packing the court now, according to um, establishment Democrats. That's their new line of attack which is apparently justification for them actually packing the court 
after they win the election. So um, that that's the groundwork that they're laying. So, I mean, we all know what packing the court really means. That means increasing the number of justices so that you can tilt the the bench to your ideologically uh, ideological point of view. Simply following procedure the that the constitution actually I mean they're act, they're literally doing what the constitution allows them to do. This is why it's so funny because the one time the government does something that the constitution actually allows them to do, it pisses off all of the fucking Democrats. Oh, they're up in arms. This is, I mean, and if, it, if the situation was reversed, the Republicans would be making the same retarded arguments. But this is actually, you know, the Constitution allows for the president to nominate a Supreme Court justice, and the Senate confirms it. And that's what they're doing. And there is nothing wrong with that. It's not illegal. It's not unconstitutional or anything like that. But it's got their, their panties in a bunch, boy, does it ever. But when... Everything, you know, when they actually violate the Constitution, nobody gives a shit. Nobody gives a rip if they do something that's unconstitutional. Uh, They're just, they're so goddamn dishonest and just despicable people. But anyway, um, that's a lot longer than I planned on talking about that. The other big story, as I alluded to in the beginning of the show, is the cache of emails that detail how Hunter Biden earned millions of dollars in China for what were deemed introductions. So, I, you know, I don't want to get too bogged down in this story because I have talked about it in pre, uh, previous podcasts. You can go back and listen to that if you feel, you know, if, you, if you're not familiar with the whole Burisma thing or any of these Hunter Biden discretions. But in a bombshell report from the New York Post, leaked emails revealed that Hunter Biden introduced his father to a Burisma executive less than a year before the then Vice President Joe Biden pressured the Ukrainian government into firing its chief prosecutor investigating the company, something Biden openly bragged about on on tape. If you remember, we've, we've all seen the tape. So basically what happened here was he brought his computer into like a computer repair guy and he sees all of this shit, all these emails, some uh, a, a porn that he shot with some chick and a bunch of pictures of him being like a crackhead. And, uh, and he turns it over to like Fox News or something like that. So within these emails was that previous revelation, plus all of this um all of the negotiations and stuff for his uh, compensation packages that are really just a thinly veiled way of buying access to Joe Biden as vice president. The first of the three email chains was from a guy at the international consulting firm J2CR, and the email chain discusses what appears to be a generous compensation package for Hunter Biden, along with other individuals whom the Post was apparently unable to identify. The subject line of an email dated May 13, 2017 read expectations, and it included details of remuneration packages for six individuals involved in the new business venture. Biden's partner in the business appears to be CEFC China Energy, which is now a defunct energy firm. 
In another email, Biden discusses what appears to be a joint venture deal structure common in China where foreign competitors uh, build partnerships with domestic firms involving the former chairman of the CEFC. Half of the ownership would be held by Hunter Biden. And at one point, Biden wrote that the the Chinese had sweetened the the terms of the deal to a three-year consulting contract that would pay him $10 million annually for introductions alone. That is a direct quote. So, I mean, you know, you you guys can look into this scandal more if you want to, to get bogged down in the details. I mean, it's... It's pretty typical of government, you know, nepotism and shit like that, corruption. I mean, they all do this kind of stuff where they have these these cushy jobs for their, their siblings or their relatives or they, they come up with a way of pay, indirectly paying for influence by paying, you know, relatives ridiculous amounts of money. I mean, this is clearly just a way to, to get uh, access to Joe Biden as the vice president. And we all knew this was going on. I mean, the funniest thing is that this is basically what they, you know, they impeached Donald Trump for something that Joe Biden did. And the media just refuses to cover this story. I mean, that to me is the bigger issue here. Like if this was just, you know, something that the New York Times uncovered about Joe Biden and they they covered it like they did Trump's tax returns or something like that, this story wouldn't move the needle in the election one inch, right? And I don't even know if it's going to at this point anyway. I mean, we're less than three weeks out and everybody already knew this and Biden has had no answer for it other than to just blatantly lie. But he never really has to because nobody ever asks him about it. The problem is that this is what gets Trump's base riled up is this bullshit fucking media that's clearly in the tank for one political party. And, you know, they accuse him of lying and fake news and all this shit, which, okay. But then you go off and do this and you completely ignore this story. You don't cover it. You won't ask him about it. You throw shade. You cover for him left and right. Anytime, like, something like this comes up or Trump brings it up in a debate, you you interject and you fucking cover for Biden. And not only that, the real creepy thing about this is the the cover that social media is throwing on this story. I mean, you couldn't link to it. If you linked to it, they they'd say the link was was dangerous and you, you know, you can't fucking click on it. They they take down your Twitter account if you post anything remotely uh referencing Hunter Biden, uh this whole uh scandal or anything like that. Even just a picture of Hunter Biden gets your account suspended immediately until you take down the tweet. And as soon as the news hit, social media cracked down, suspending accounts who shared the story, including the New York Post, and preventing people from tweeting it or sharing it in direct messages. This is from the article now. Twitter defended itself, claiming in a nebulous statement that they do not allow content obtained through hacking that contains private information that may put people in physical harm or danger or contains trade secrets. The Biden emails weren't hacked, by the way. They were found on a laptop, reportedly dropped off at a Delaware computer repair store. And of course, you know, Twitter had no problem allowing the President Trump's, his leaked tax returns to be passed around their platform. I mean, this is just absolutely ridiculous. And then you find out that just a couple of weeks ago, executives from both Facebook and Twitter, 
joined the Biden transition team. Twitter's public policy director, Carlos Mange, left the social media giant to join Biden's transition team in September. He will reportedly serve as co-chair of Biden's infrastructure policy committee and helped organize a fundraiser for the former VP this week, according to an invitation from Politico. Mange had worked in the world of presidential transition politics in the past, previously serving as the director of agency review on the team that prepared for Secretary of State Hillary Clinton's administration. He also worked on the Obama administration's team in 2008 National Security Working Group, according to his LinkedIn profile. He also acted as Deputy Policy Director during Obama's first run for office and subsequently served as Senior Policy Advisor and Special Assistant to the President on Domestic Policy Council. Amanji's final years in the administration were spent in the Transportation Department before he departed for Twitter. Meanwhile, back in October, October, Biden's transition team hired Facebook executive Jessica Hertz to its general counsel to deal with ethics issues. Notably, Facebook was the first platform to ban the Post article, with former Democrat staffer and Facebook communications team member Andy Stone tweeting that the company would be reducing its distribution. So, I mean, this just really goes to show you how deep the ties to the whole Silicon Valley, these tech firms go to the Democratic Party, and just the risks that are involved with this. When you get companies that are, you know, politically motivated, especially these social media companies where, uh, you know, people expect to be able to exchange information freely, they claim to be for the free flow of information, and then you've got this perverse relationship between the two, and you've got them working for each other, helping each other out, looking for looking out for their um, political. It, it, it's really a, a dangerous game that we're playing. So, I mean, to me, the much bigger issue here um, is the the tech censorship of of the free flow of information. I mean, they I mean they clearly have an agenda here, right? And they can claim like, oh, these are unconfirmed reports, or they were stolen emails, or whatever. I mean, that's a bunch of fucking bullshit. Because think of all the stories that they've they've ran with, they've allowed to run with. They ran the the New York Times thing when they illegally obtained Trump's tax returns. That wasn't a problem for any of these guys. You know, they run with the whole the, the Covington kid bullshit story, the Jesse Smollett thing in fucking Chicago. I mean, like all of these fucking bullshit stories that fit their narrative, they're fine with letting any any and all links go through their their platforms for that. I mean, for Christ's sake, the whole Russian hoax collusion thing, the the Donald Trump's a, a, a Putin puppet, all those unconfirmed anonymous sources, they ran with it for three years. It was all over social media. It was all over everything. You couldn't get away from it. Election interference, all kinds. Of, I mean, what is this, right? You don't think they're interfering in the election now? But the second it, you know, it jeopardizes their guy, their candidate, or it goes against their narrative, oh, whoa, whoa, now it's uh, it's fake news. We can't click on it. You, you know, this is um, this is just really creepy. And I, you know, I've have talked about this on previous episodes as well. So you can go back and listen to those. I've done episodes on sort of woke capitalism and tech censorship. Normally, 
what what they do is they just deplatform people like um and when they deplatformed Alex Jones you know I, I talked about how that was a trial balloon for for future deplatforming and censorship and everything like that and it was it's the camel's nose under the tent but now it's like they're not even just deplatforming people they're actively suppressing information like people that just want to post an article I mean it was a New York Post expose or whatever right I mean they're a legitimate I mean, as legitimate as you can be, a news organization, right? And and they won't let you link to their article. I mean, this is this is beyond fucking anything we were at before, and it really is something that needs to be dealt with. I don't, you know, there, there's a lot of calls for you know government intervention to regulate these tech firms and everything like that. I mean, you know, that could be tempting. It's hard for people to envision other ways of dealing with this sort of problem. The last thing we want is for the government to be in control of what information can be posted and and sent around and things like that. Because, I mean, it's going to be as bad as this and then times like fucking 50 million, right? There's no way getting the the federal government involved in in the censorship of information or controlling information could ever end well. So, I mean, that for sure is not the right solution. I'm not exactly sure what the solution is at this point. I I know that the fact that a lot of these tech firms are in bed with the federal government, you know, when we see them testifying in front of Congress, they want uh, Zuckerberg to write the legislation, help them draft the legislation to, you know, deal with social media and, and shit like that. And that's only going to serve the interests of the big tech firms and the government. So the the idea that the free market would come up with solutions to this and it would be a lot easier for alternative um, social media platforms and, and things that really allow for the free flow of information to come about if we actually had a, a free market, the government wasn't involved, the tech firms weren't in bed with the government and things like that. So that's definitely a hindrance to any uh, free market solutions that would come up. But, you know, the good news is that there was a lot of uproar about this and it didn't take long for people to realize what was happening. And just because it was such a blatant fucking bullshit censorship where it's like you have this bombshell news story and it's just so clear that they're trying to stop people from seeing it. So I don't know if like they can get craftier with the way they suppress information. I'm sure they could to the extent where it's not as blatantly obvious what they're doing. That that kind of freaks me out as well. But, you know, for every for every little crafty way they come up with to sort of um, restrict the flow of information, people are going to come up with ways of of getting it out there. I actually tried to, to share a meme on Twitter and it got immediately censored just uh just the pictures of of hunter biden in in a meme form it had like an instagram a facebook uh a linkedin and a and a craigslist picture for each one of them it was just pretty funny um but yeah they they weren't having any of that there's always alternative sites you can go to i mean i was i was able to post the the meme on instagram my account didn't get shut down the meme got out there and you know so Apparently, I should be focusing more of my efforts on the the Instagram account than the the Twitter because Twitter is is um, getting a, a lot more restrictive, which is fucking terrible to see. Uh, Facebook was already bad. Now now Twitter's getting up there, 
and, and you know, the, the more restrictive they get, the more incentive there is for al- alternative things to pop up that doesn't r- restrict the, 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 the free flow of information or whatever. So um, there, there at least is that sort of silver lining there. And honestly, I mean, I, I really think the, the easiest solution to this, well, maybe not the easiest, but the best solution to this would be to abolish government. I mean, imagine what life would be like if there were no politics to fucking fight over, right? And the story was just the story, and the information was just the information, and, you know, there was no political angle to it. it this all just goes away. I mean, that's something to think about, right? This, like so many other fucking problems caused by the government, caused by the fact that we have these, this group of people with the, the legalized monopoly on the use of force that rule over us, that dictate what we can and can't do with our daily lives. If you take that away, maybe a lot of this incentive to censor people, to restrict information from getting out, to only present one side of an argument agenda-driven arguments and things like that, maybe a lot of that goes away if you get rid of the poisonous cancer that is government. So anyway, uh, I'm going to wrap there for today, guys. Thank you so very much for listening. I appreciate each and every one of you guys, and hopefully this episode won't get taken down off of Twitter or Facebook or whatever. That is something I've had, like I said on on the last episode, I've already had videos that have been taken down off of YouTube. I've had uh, posts taken down off of Twitter, so we're starting to get some attention, I guess. That's, uh, that's one way of looking at it, but enjoy it while you can, guys. <laughs> but rest assured, as long as I have an internet connection and a microphone, I will continue to peddle that so-called fiction and present the truth as best I can. I, I don't pretend that I don't have an agenda or an angle or anything like that. I absolutely do. I am trying to influence each and every one of you to come around to my way of seeing things, but I'm never going to intentionally lie to you guys or misrepresent uh, a story or anything like that. I'm going to tell it like it is, as, you know, to the best of my ability. And if you like what I do here, give me a five-star rating and review on iTunes. Share the show with somebody you know that might like to hear it. Follow me on Twitter for the, the tweets that they don't censor. And like I said, I also have an Instagram thing. I, I don't know what the handle is, Paddling Fiction, something like that. It shouldn't be too hard to find. Maybe I'll be more active on there now that, that I know that they're a little more free-flowing with information. Don't forget to support our wonderful sponsors. And if you want to support the show directly, go to peddlingfictionpodcast.com. And if you can do all that for me, I will be back next week with a brand new episode for you. And until then, just remember to keep on peddling that so-called fiction. Peace. Peace.